You can have a seat. We're going to move into just a, a moment, a time of guided prayer. Um, and, um, and specifically this week, I want us to pray for a few things. Uh, I want us to start uh, by praying for the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, that's the building that the Lord has graciously uh, let us rent to use. Um, and um, and they've been uh, amazing, amazing for us. And we want to also be a church that's not just about ourselves, but it's about the kingdom of God. Uh, and they love Jesus. And so we want to pray for them, um, along with throughout our, our rhythms and patterns as a church. On our Sunday morning gatherings as Trailview, we will also pray for other churches throughout our area, uh, that the Lord would uh, move in them, that they would see salvation, that they would... Um, that people would come to faith in Jesus, that they would display the glory of God in a really beautiful way, in a really unique way, the way the Lord's craft, or built those churches. So, so we're going to pray for the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church, and then we're just going to pray for our community, uh, specifically praying for um, our community with our eyes looking forward um, and our eyes looking back at what 2020 has been so far. Um, so um, so let's, let's pray and start with praying for the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church. Father, I thank you so much for uh, the partnership that you have put uh, with us and the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, God, I thank you for uh, putting them here off of 1187 um, as a light of your gospel, as a, a people who love you in this community. And God, we know that you have an intended people uh, for them to reach. You have uh, wired and gifted and, and cultivated them as a church to reach a particular people in this community, and so we ask you by your Holy Spirit to come and empower them, the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church, to effectively reach people in this area. And God, we thank you for their generosity towards us, uh, and we ask that you would um, that you would not let that end or terminate on us, but we would return that uh, as worship back to you in generosity towards uh, them and towards others as well. God, we ask that you would be glorified in and through the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church here uh, in, uh, in this building when they gather on Saturdays and in the community as they uh, live their lives in relationship with one another and their neighbors. Uh, Father, we want to pray for our, our community as a whole. Um, you're not surprised or shocked or taken back by anything that's happening on a micro, tiny level or on a macro level in our world or in our community. And you, you know, but you not only know, that you are, but you are sovereign in all those things. So, Father, we ask you to move in our community, um, particularly in the realms and in the conversations of uh, social injustice. Um, God, would you make Jesus known? Would you, through us as a church, move us in compassion towards our neighbors, towards those who aren't like us, that we would be a people who, whose allegiance and devotion is to the kingdom of Jesus above everything else. And that in our life in this community, as individuals and as a body, that you would make Jesus' kingdom a little bit more actualized, a little bit more realized in, in Burleson and Crowley and Fort Worth. God, we pray for uh, the city leaders in Crowley and Burleson, um, the challenges that they face this, this season, this year. Um, pray for our schools that some have started and some are about to start, and the many administrators and teachers. We ask that you would, um, you would watch over them, that you would keep them, God, that you would uh, give them wisdom 
God, that you would give the people of this area a, a level of just sympathy, uh, empathy towards people in hard places and hard decisions and, and leadership. And God, would you let us be a people that are a light and a breath of fresh air of compassion and understanding towards our cities, towards our neighbors, towards our coworkers, towards businesses, towards people who are upset that we encounter? Would we be a, a, a people that display uh, the fruit of the Spirit? God, we ask that you would be glorified in our gathering this morning uh, as you continue to shape and mold us as a church. Um, would you, uh, just by your Holy Spirit, guide every step of the way uh, that we would clearly display the glory of God in our gathering and our, our time together and that we would love and care and take responsibility for one another's souls as a body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning um, by the way, if there are, uh, there are components like this where we'll have somebody come up and pray, we'll have somebody come up and read Scripture. If you're interested in serving on a Sunday morning gathering way by coming up and reading Scripture um, or by, by leading in guided prayer, you're welcome to, to do that. Just let us know. You can fill out our serve form on our website. Um, also, we're in the process of helping develop and build a worship team um, to where we have people from inside of our own um, church that are leading, playing different instruments and whatnot on a Sunday morning basis. So if you're interested in that, uh, on our website, trailview.church, you can click the serve button and you can fill out that survey and say, hey, I want to help with this or help with that. Um, I want to remind you guys that this is our um, second time to gather. And in that, these next few weeks, there's just a ton of grace um, towards one another and what we're doing on a consistent basis, what we're doing in here, what's going on in our kids' ministry classrooms, uh, just a ton of grace towards everyone. Um, and at the same time, acknowledge that uh, you're welcome to bring your kids into this gathering. Uh, on a normal basis, um, we also want to encourage you to go and get them at the end of the sermon time and bring them in here if you do check them in with kids ministry. So our kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, their actual Sunday morning routine, their their program programming will end when the sermon ends at 11 o'clock, which means uh, the last three songs of worship. Um, they're just chilling and hanging out. So we would encourage you to go grab them and bring them back in here. You can also go grab your kids that are under kindergarten. Um, you're welcome to go grab them all. We, we firmly believe that you are the primary disciples of your kids. And in that, them seeing you sing to Jesus is incredibly impactful on shaping their own hearts, their own understanding of the gospel, of what it looks like to love and follow Jesus. Um, so we want to encourage you to do that. Um, if, you, if you can't, one week, maybe this week, next week, the Lord is just hard at work in you, and you just need to sit with him, then do it. We want to give you freedom to do what you think is best for your soul and your kids in that moment. If you want to go grab them, you can. Um, also, if kids are in here, you're safe to be kids, which means you can be kids. You can color. You can, you can do whatever you need to do. Like that's, that's totally fine. And parents, don't feel any pressure from us or one another. If your kid's noisy or your kid's doing this or that or wiggling or whatever, that's totally fine. We are, we're totally fine with them being kids on a normal basis. So uh, the other thing I want to let you know is that this week's a little bit different than what our normal um, sermon time content will be. This week and next week, we're walking through a picture of what does biblical, meaningful covenant membership in the church look like uh, in general. And then Brandon's back there. Yeah. And then next week, we'll walk and look specifically at what is meaningful membership inside of Trailview Church going to look like? 
uh, as we begin to take steps forward to becoming a local body of Christians, it's important that we have a good understanding of what is the church, what is church membership, and what does meaningful membership look like uh, for us? What does it look like for us to to be members of one another? This is the language the scriptures use for the church. Uh, and then our launch Sunday, September 13th, I want to encourage you, grab Write down two, three names, families, friends, whatever, and just plan on go ahead and inviting them to be here on September 13th for our launch Sunday. That'll be a standalone sermon. And then September 20th, I'm super pumped. We're diving into the Gospel of Mark. And we'll go through the Gospel of Mark until we get to Thanksgiving, take a break for Advent, and then and keep trucking forward. I love teaching through books of the Bible. And so there's a part of me that's just like, okay, we'll do this this week. But like, I'm just longing to get to September 20th when we can just start walking through the Gospel of Mark and seeing Jesus, our King, um, seeing Jesus, our King. So, and so I'm super pumped about that, uh, but it is incredibly important that we understand what a church is and what we are to one another as members before we ever get there. So um, it, I want to just start by asking the question. This is, again, a rhetorical. You're welcome to raise your hand if you want to or whatnot interactive, interactively. Anybody have a Sam's Club membership? Anybody got a Costco membership? Maybe a gym membership? Maybe you don't want to raise your hand if you do on that one. Um, <laughs> members of, of some kind of a car club or a civic organization, uh, anything like that. Uh, oftentimes throughout life, in, in our normal rhythms of life, we have membership in different things. Uh, membership in clubs. I remember in high school, I was a member of the uh, Johnson County Jeep Club. And uh, we paid our dues and we were members. But what is it that leads you to the point uh, of choosing to become a member of those particular organizations. Typically, it's some sort of benefits that you get. You weigh the odds. Like our Sam's Club membership went up, uh, and we were like, okay, do we actually want to do this? Like, do we actually want to renew our membership? Are we utilizing the benefits that come via the Sam's Club membership that would make sense for us to spend the hundred or whatever dollars to renew our membership? And we didn't for probably five or six months, and then we're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it again now. And so, so we renewed it. Renewed it. So uh, when we think about membership, oftentimes we can come to the idea of church membership with similar ideologies of membership that we have towards other things. Membership in Sam's Club, okay, well, what, 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 what do I get if I become a member? Uh, or, or maybe you've experienced church membership and, and it, people become members of churches for a plethora of bad reasons. Uh, I want voting rights so that I can bring influential and I can bring change in the direction of this church or, or this organization. Um, that's a democratic approach towards membership. Uh, I want to I want to have my say so that I can affect change and direction. Um, there, there's also a, the other end of the pendulum swing where it's church membership has been something I don't want anything to do with, so we're just not going to do membership. And you have some churches that take that approach. They just, we're not going to do membership, or you can become a member of our church, but membership is essentially a slip of paper that you sign, and that's, that's it. It's, it's no significance at all to your life or your um, your, your life as a Christian. And so uh, it's incredibly important that when we think about and make this step forward to understand church membership, that we see what is a church, what does it mean to be a member of a church, and what does the scriptures actually say? Um, so my goal this morning is for all of us to see that church membership is in the Bible and that there are two specific reasons for church membership. Uh, those are um, that the, the Lord has created a people to display His glory, and they're a people. They're not just a, like, whoever. They're a specific people, and that He has created membership in the church for the care and the development and health of the individual believer inside the 
context of the church. So I want us to unpack this in three particular questions. If you want to write these down, if you're following notes, you're welcome to. Um, these are the three questions we're going to walk through. What is the church? If we don't have the right understanding of what a church is, we're going to get church membership wrong. And so, so what is the church? And then question two, is church membership actually biblical? Is church membership actually in the Bible? Or is it something that we fabricated or created? Just FYI, this isn't, like I said, a normal Sunday morning uh, as far as what we'd be doing in this moment. Uh, third question, what is meaningful church membership? So what is a church? Is church membership even biblical? And three, what is meaningful church membership? So let's dive into the first question. What is a church? If you were to ask most people in our world, what is the church? What are they going to say? They're going to say, oh, it's that building down the street, right? Uh, what, what is the church? Oh, well, we're at the church, right? We're at church. We're at the building, or it, it's First Baptist, it's the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist, it's Life Church up the parkway, it's Graceview, it's uh, Allsbury. It, it's these, these locations are the church. And, and that's what most people in our lives are going to say. Uh, it's what most people, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, uh, people who are involved in church and people who are not involved in church, they're going to say the church is the place that these people get together on Sunday. And it's culturally kind of an okay thing to say, because yeah, I mean, just for the sake of understanding, yeah, like you can call this a church. It's, it's a building, but we can call it the church. Some Christians, on the other hand, would say, no, 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 the church isn't a building. The church is a people, which is true. Church is a people, and it's not an actual building. But what distinguishes this group of people versus those groups of people? So what makes the church, if it is a people, different from the Lions Club or the Salvation Army or Harvest House or your CrossFit gym, which are not churches. So what makes this group of people different from all of those people who have committed together for a particular thing? Or, or one step further, what makes us, Trailview Church, different than, say, the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church? What makes my relationship with you inside of Trailview Church different than your relationship with Max, the head elder of the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church. I, I, I trust, or I believe, based on my interactions and the things that I've done with and in around this building with Max, that Max seems to be a, a man who loves and trusts in Jesus. So if he's a Christian and I'm a Christian, what makes you and me in this relationship at Trailview Church different than me and him, Max, who's not a member of Trailview Church, nobody is yet, um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and who, who is a member of the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church. So what makes, what, what makes that different? If we're both Christians, are we not the church? Well, yes, you, know, you might say that I'm splitting hairs right now or I might be getting really far down into the weeds, but this is incredibly important. Uh, it's incredibly important because if we get a wrong understanding of what the local church is, then we'll get church membership wrong, and all of us have impacted by, been impacted by places where church membership was null and void, where it should have been an incredible, fruitful place for your life and development as a Christian, for your safety and your community. Having a right understanding of the church and church membership directly impacts everything in the life of the church. Most, mostly, it impacts the relationships that you have with one another. I'm going to say that again. Having a right understanding of what the church is and church membership directly impacts everything in the life of the church. Mostly and most notably, the relationships that you have with one another inside the church. Church membership 
directly impacts your relationship with one another inside the local church. Member to member, brother to sister, family, one body. Often people talk about the church in two different ways. They'll talk about the universal church and they'll talk about the local church. Uh, the universal church is Christians across all time and all space, like the globe, not like Mars, but like across all time and all locations over time that are true, genuine confessors of Jesus. So from the disciples in Judea to right now here in Texas, anyone who's truly confessed Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins is a member of the church, God's people. The local church is the physical demonstration of the universal church. So the, the universal church and the local church aren't really a separate thing. It's just the way that we see the universal church is through the local church. So we, as a local church, should display Jesus on a very tangible way to our community, whereas the universal church, although it exists, has not gathered and won't until Christ returns. So the local church is the physical demonstration of the universal, everyone who has and will believe in Jesus, until Jesus comes back and installs his forever kingdom on earth, and it's all his people where the church then is all of God's people across all time and space that are all gathered together. And until then, we live in the local church. You know, so what is a local church? This is a definition of the church that we, we are going to ride with as Trailview Church. If you want to write this down, you're welcome to. There's, it breaks into five things. Uh, a church is a group of Christians who regularly gather together for the preaching of God's word and the ordinances, so baptism and communion, that take responsibility for one another's care and that represent Christ to the world. So those five things are this. It's a group of Christians, really important. It's a group of Christians. It's a group of people who have confessed Jesus as their Lord. They regularly gather together. And when they gather, there's the preaching of God's word and the observance of baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. They take responsibility for one another's care. That in the local church, the members take responsibility for one another's souls, one another's care, and they live for the purpose of representing Christ to the world. As God's people in the world, we as the church display and represent him to the world around us. And the picture of the church that I just described may not be in one individual passage of scripture where you can see all five of those things, but it is explicitly clear across all of the New Testament that as the church was created by Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives to faith, they were Christians and they gathered underneath the preaching and the baptism and communion and they took responsibility for one another's care in everyday life and they displayed and represented Jesus to the world around them. Like those five things may not be in a single passage of scripture where you can just kind of boom, 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 follow them, but they're in Acts 2 and they follow throughout the entire rest of the New Testament as key foundational pieces that make up the church, demonstrated in the local church. So what is a church? A church is a group of Christians who regularly gather together for the preaching of God's word and the ordinances, baptism, communion, they take responsibility for one another's care and represent Christ to the world. So what is, or is church membership biblical? So if we have a foundational understanding of what the church is. Is church membership biblical? I want you to, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. 
And we're going to look at the, um, the, the beginning of the church. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 if church membership is biblical. If membership inside a local body, the church, is there. If you don't have your Bibles, it's totally cool. It'll be up on the screen. Acts 2, starting in verse 36, says this. Oh, to give you kind of some context. Peter just stood up and preached about a two-page sermon in your Bible. Um, and he called all of these people guilty for killing Jesus. And they're cut to the heart. And we'll get to that part. Um, he preaches, and then this is what happens. Verse 36. And all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made himself, made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, not just that one sentence, but all of Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, the gospel, were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if you follow the story in the narrative of Acts, prior to this moment, there's about 500 Christians. There's about 500 people in all of the world who believe that Jesus is God's Son who was sent to die on the cross, accomplishing all that was necessary in the law, and pay the punishment for their sin. They put faith in that resurrected Savior. There's about 500 of them. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches to this massive crowd of people within, without any PA system. We'll call that miracles, I don't know. Um, so he preaches to thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, and as he does, there's a massive crowd of people who are cut to their heart. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit of this gospel, that they are guilty of sin, and they're, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, and then they're added. So this set-apart group of people, the church, people who confess in Jesus, have been baptized, is 500, and now it's 3,500. And I'm not making that a point of the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit to save 3,000 people as amazing and like could, could really go there for a while. What I want you to see in this is that there is a designated people that are the church, and there's 500 of them. And after this moment, there's a designated group of people, it's the same group, and there's 3,500 of them. And they're added to their number. And so you see from the very beginning, the church is, is marking off themselves from the rest of the world. Not in a like separatist way. Not in a like, oh, let's go and hide ourselves from the rest of the world. But in a, these people believe in Jesus and the others don't way. In a membership marks off the people who believe in Jesus from the people who don't believe in Jesus. And there's an incredibly important reason for that. It might, sound, it might sound exclusive. It is. Like, membership isn't anything. If I don't have a Sam's Club membership, I'm excluded from making purchases at Sam's Club. In the same way, these people who are now added are in that were out, right? They weren't a part of this group, and now they are. And as the story unfolds, it only continues. Then in Acts chapter 8, persecution arises and forces believers to leave Judea and Israel. 
This leads to a massive development of church planting around the known world. In Acts 8, Philip goes to Samaria and makes disciples, and those people gather together in a church. In Acts 9, Paul's converted, and his conversion on the road leads him to where? To Damascus, where he was going? Yes, but to where specifically? To a group of Christians who are meeting together in Damascus. There's a church in Damascus. In Acts 10, non-Jews were beginning to believe in Jesus and starting churches in Joppa and other places around the known world. As the church began to spread out, they continued to represent Jesus to new communities. Disciples were made and they gathered together for the preaching and teaching of the word of God, for baptism, for communion, for the care of one another's souls, and to continue displaying the gospel and Jesus to the world around them. In Acts 11, the church at Antioch is, is first told about. It's the first known intentionally church planting church that we see in the Bible. They're the first ones in the New Testament that are like, we're not going to do this because of persecution. We're going to do this because we want to. They're the first known church planting church. And it's a local body of Christians who meet and gather together. They have their own leaders. They're, they're doing the things that the church does in Antioch. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out from the church at Antioch, and they go around the Roman Empire telling people about Jesus. Those people become disciples, and they gather together in churches. You see across the uh, Asia Minor, the churches in the Galatia area, in, in Corinth, around the world, we begin to see people make disciples, and those disciples gather together with one another to do the things that the church and scripture outlines for them to do. You see, the, the pattern continues on and on. Disciples are made, they gather into churches, churches have membership, they're keeping account for one another, they're caring for one another, they're, they're identifying who is and who isn't, all for a purpose. You can also think about this in the metaphors uh, that, that are used in the New Testament for church. Um, anybody uh, have an issue with mixed metaphors? Uh, if, you, if you're into English and whatnot, you might not be a fan of mixed metaphors. The Bible uses them like crazy. Um, it uses them like crazy, particularly in reference to the church. You have the church referred to as uh, the household of God, the family. You have the church referred to, that's in Ephesians 2. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, you have the church referred to as a body, members of one another. In, in, in Ephesians 2, you have the church referred to as the temple. In, in later on in Ephesians 2, you have the church referred to as a, a building. In Jesus' teaching, and later on throughout the entire rest of the New Testament, you have the church referred to as the kingdom. In Ephesians 5, you have Paul referred to the church with the metaphor of marriage. And in every single one of those metaphors, there's the implication of an, a, a membership in, a belonging, a specific relationship between the local members and one another. You think about this in the family. Uh, there's no gray area on family, although we like to use the, the, some gray language. Oh, man, you're my brother. You're my family, whatnot. Like, there is a line, right? Like, there are people who are actually your family and then people who are not actually your family, right? And if you've ever done foster care or are currently maybe doing foster care, there is a difference in between uh, adopted children, not in the children, but in the, like, the, the way that all that works in in, in foster children and adopted children. And why do foster parents want so long and to for have those kids as their own? Because there's just something about how, like that adoption into the family that changes. If you've seen the movie, it's a movie nonetheless. Um, oh my goodness, what's it called? Um, it's got uh, Mark Wahlberg in it. it talks about uh, Blinn. No, 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 no. 
Say it again. Uh, Instant family. Yeah, like there's a difference that changes when those kids are adopted in, in the relationship between the father, the mother, the other siblings, and those kids. In the same way, when when you become a Christian and you join in the body as, as the local church, there's a distinct aspect of what it means and looks like for you to love and care for one another as family than not family. In the same way in the body, like you either are a member of the body, like I'm either things are attached to me or are members of my body or they're not. Like there's no, there's no gray area there. I mean, like, I guess if I cut a hair off, it's no longer a part, but like nonetheless, like there, there's a membership implied in the illustration of the body. In the temple, the actual building, there are components that together make up the temple. And when you take one of those out, or like if you look at it, like that's the building, that's the temple, that stone is not the temple because it's not a part of it. Like there is a distinction there. If you look at the kingdom, like a kingdom implies citizenship. Like you're either a part of a kingdom or you're not. Like there, there's no gray area there. They're sojourning, but sojourners are not members of the kingdom. They're passers through. In marriage, you're either in a marriage or you're, you're not in a marriage. Uh, so, so to give you a picture of this in using the marriage illustration, to be in and around the church without membership is like intimacy without marriage. It's not the same. It's like dating as opposed to marriage. There's an intimacy available in the covenant of marriage that's not available in relationships that are not in a covenant of marriage. Because there's members in the marriage. Rachel and I are members in a marriage. We are covenant together, one another together in that marriage. No one else is. There's a separate part to that. You see, there is no biblical precedent or historical precedent before 1900, say that little caveat, of Christians not belonging to a local church. There's no biblical precedent or historical precedent prior to 1900 for Christians not belonging to the local church. To belong to Christ is to belong to his body, his bride, his family, his temple, his kingdom. So is church membership biblical? Yeah, it's kind of throughout the whole thing. Maybe not explicitly. You have to be a member of a local church, like we would say. But there's no no part in the New Testament that gives excuse or reason for a Christian to separate themselves from the body and yet still claim the name of Jesus as Christian. See, we live in a really complex world time right now when it comes to church membership because we see a different picture of what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, we see a lot of Christians who are Christians who are not members of a church, or we see a lot of people who would say they're Christians and probably aren't, and they're inside the church. Or they're not inside the church, and they're claiming the name of Christian, which is where we get to what is meaningful church membership. So I use the word meaningful church membership intentionally, you may have heard in churches that you've been at covenant membership. Um, we'll use both of those probably interchangeably at Trellview. Both meaningful membership and covenant membership, they're implying the same thing. And it's that membership inside of the church um, has significance to the purpose of the church and to the life of the church. This is what I said earlier um, when I said that uh, the, 
the local church membership is uh, the most impactful thing in the life of the church, specifically in your relationships with one another. So what is meaningful church membership? Church membership is the means of marking off true confessors of Jesus from the world in order to display the glory of God. That's the first part, to display the glory of God. And no, the second part, to maintain the health of the church. So church membership, meaningful church membership, is the means of marking off true confessors of Jesus from the rest of the world so that we can display the glory of God to the world and so that we can maintain the health of the church. So uh, the first one of those, God's means of marking off the church in the world is, is, is what church membership is. First Peter 2, this will be up on the screen, verses 9 and 10, um, unpacks what the church is in just a few verses and what the church is about or should be. And this is what it says, First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, this implies, uh, just to clarify, it can be kind of ambiguous for us in the English language, English language when it says, but you and then has all those identifiers. The you is plural. The you is not a singular, um, singular pronoun there. It's a plural, which means it's, it's saying you as in this local church people that Peter's writing to. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. You're a particular distinct group of people. That's what, that's what God's saying here is that you are a particular people. You're not whoever wants to be. You're, an in, you're a specific people. A specific people called by God, His chosen people, His royal priesthood, His nation, His people, for a particular purpose. And that's to proclaim Him, to display the glory of God to the world around. You see, here's, the pro- here's where the problem enters. Whenever church membership becomes really ambiguous... Really, uh, anybody can, anybody can't kind of thing. Although, the, the, just to be clear, the doorway into church membership is faith in Jesus. That's it. That's what we see throughout the New Testament. The prerequisite for membership in the body of Christ is faith. It's not faith and then a whole bunch of other stuff. It's faith. But what distinguishes this particular people from the rest is faith in Jesus. And so when, when the church is charged by God to represent and display him to the world around, and we're really unclear as to what a Christian looks like, because church membership isn't saying you are and you aren't, what are we doing as a church? We're displaying a whole bunch of versions of what's called Christian to the world around that some are and some aren't. So if like church membership is a way in which God is intended to identify and guard what we as a church are saying is the gospel is the gospel it guards the church's witness and testimony to the world around them of what it means and looks like to actually be a christian so if we don't have meaningful church membership what are we saying to the world around us a christian is a nice person a christian is a, a friendly guy a christian is a good neighbor a christian is Mr. Rogers, a Christian is like fill in the blank. 
But meaningful membership in the church helps the church to protect what we as a body are saying is somebody who actually believes in Jesus. So when your friends, neighbors come in or interact with you in group or interact with you in an individual way, and you are a member of this body, we know because we keep track, not in the numerical sense, as much as meaningfully caring for one another, our membership, that we are ongoingly keeping watch over what we are displaying and what we are proclaiming as the gospel in your life. And this is, this is practiced through specifically baptism. We don't baptize people who don't confess in Jesus. Because baptism is like putting on the jersey that you're on Jesus' team. It's like saying, yeah, I'm in the kingdom. And our, our endorsement is saying, yes, you are. You do believe in Jesus. Get baptized, brother. Get baptized, sister. Baptism is a... It, it, uh, people outside... like No other religion does baptism. Why? Because it's a distinctly Christian thing for people who put their faith in Jesus. So baptism is a way in which membership identifies who is a confessor of Jesus, who is, who what is Christian, and who isn't. Also through communion. As we gather together to remember Jesus in, in communion, the little bread and the little juice, as we do that, we're saying we as a people that are doing this really do believe in Jesus. There's an identifying line of who is and who isn't in that moment. It also has a lot of communal nature to it, not just a me and Jesus moment. Also through church discipline. In, in Matthew 16 and in Matthew 18, Jesus unpacks a very clear teaching on that the church has the responsibility of identifying who is and who isn't. This is when Peter is given, uh, the apostles are given the keys to the kingdom to say, uh, whoever he, they bind, bring in, and whoever they loose and say isn't will be bound and loosed in heaven. And then in Matthew 18, when Jesus walks through the process of saying, like, man, um, for the sake and love of this brother or this person who, who seems to be unrepentant after multiple following the steps that Jesus outlines, you're practicing the loosing and the binding as a body, as the members of this church, saying, hey, like, as much as you may think and believe you, you trust in Jesus, your lack of repentance would say otherwise. And for the sake of protecting what we as a church believe as the gospel, we can't affirm that you actually believe in Jesus anymore because of your unrepentance. And with tons of pain and sorrow and grief, we remove that person from membership because our purpose as a church is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And our membership does that. It doesn't mean that people can't come in and be a part of our worship gatherings who don't believe in Jesus. By all means, we want them here. They're going to hear about him. But they can't be members because membership in the church is the means by which God helps us to mark off who is a true confessor of Jesus and who isn't so that we can display him as one body to the world around us. That sounds incredibly exclusive. Salvation is exclusive. It is. The second part of what meaningful membership is, is that meaningful membership is the way that God has structured inside the church of maintaining and enabling the health of the church. This is probably one of the most foreign reasons that the Lord has created church membership. 
for most of us. Let me unpack this a little bit. Think about the 52 different one another commands the scriptures give for Christians. Love one another, care for one another, sing to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, confess your sin to one another. Like all those one another. 52 commands, most of them are repeated in the New Testament. Who are those commands given to? They're given to the church. To, to live out in community with one another. Which means, a simple way of putting it, you can't obey the commands of Jesus to love one another if you're not a part of one another. Like there's a whole bunch of the commands of the New Testament that you can't do outside of being a member of the body. And the beauty of that is that there is a ton of joy to be had for one another in every one of those commands. Speak the truth to, in love to one another. As challenging, as, as scary as that may be, there's so much joy in that truth, in kindness and gentleness, and in joy as you speak that truth and your brother or sister receive it well. See, church membership, in other words, is all about the church taking specific responsibility for you and you for the church. So to be a member of the church is about you saying, you people are responsible for my soul care, and I will be responsible for yours. It's a covenant relationship where we one another care for one another. Think about it this way. Anybody ever grow like jasmine or any kind of vines? If you have, what do they need? Or what, what for a vine to be healthy, what does it need? A trellis. For a vine to be healthy, a vine needs a trellis. Why? Because a trellis, be that made of metal or wood, is the structure that the vine dresser or the gardener builds and maintains so that the, the vine may be fruitful and grow. You see, the trellis is loved by the vine. You can actually see this play out in an actual vine because what does a vine do on a trellis? It holds onto that thing. Like it hugs tightly too, and it interweaves itself in that trellis. Why? Because the vine knows that the structure of the trellis is what brings about the fruitfulness of the vine. You see, a vine can grow on the ground. But what happens to a vine that grows on the ground? Uh, it, its leaves cover up one another. It doesn't get the sunlight it needs. The fruit hits the ground and in the soil it begins to rot and deteriorate. And its fruitfulness is, 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 is maybe there, but not well. You see, the, the trellis enables the vine to expand upwards and outwards, enabling each branch to spread and each leaf capture as much sunlight as it needs. Uh, the spring foliage and the flowers that begin to weigh heavy on the vine are supported and held up by the trellis. The summer fruits with their sweet aromas and the sugars add a lot of weight to a vine. And without the trellis, the fruit would fall, be trampled, or would rot on the ground. See, for the organic development that a vine is meant to produce, literally organic, it needs the structure of a trellis. This enables the vine to be successful. And when I say successful, I mean it accomplishes what it is intended to do. In the same way, church membership is the trellis on which the organic life of the church grows. 
It's essential for the success of the church. And when I say success, I mean the church accomplishes what it's intended to do, which is to display the glory of God, to represent the kingdom of Jesus. You see, structure, commitment, and covenant function biblically to produce a deeper and wider growth and fruitfulness in the church. You see, God has given the church membership for the church's purpose of displaying his glory as we grow and are more fruitful and live in community with one another. Uh, to give you a personal illustration, a few weeks, this is probably a month ago, in my own home group, I love my home group. Um, it's been such a joy to live life with these people, to get together every single week. Uh, I, Rachel and I are having a conversation and in preparing for us to just kind of bear all vulnerably in front of our group, um, I wanted to kind of coach people in our group. How do you do that and how do you respond to that? Um, because it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to be vulnerable with people that you've maybe known for a few months and that knowing started on a TV screen or a computer. <laughs> um, it's a scary thing. Um, but there are some things that enable us to be more vulnerable with one another and feel safe. Uh, what I did was I gave everybody a copy of this document that says how to tell your story with Jesus as the hero that walks through how the story of the gospel mirrors our story in need of the gospel and our life as a Christian. And then I gave everybody another document that says how to receive one another's story with gospel-centered lenses. So how do we hear somebody's vulnerable confession of their sin in the past, their wounds, their hurts, their pains, and receive that in a way that's not condescending, that's not judgmental, that's not robbing from their story and interjecting your own, but it's just living out the gospel with sympathy and compassion for them and the wounds that they've experienced and the sin that they've committed and the sin that's been committed against them. How do we receive that? And so we don't have right now have church membership. And so I, in a moment to step out in, coven or in, in vulnerability, have nothing to lean on except for hope that these people are going to love me back. And so what I did was said, hey, here's how I need you to respond. Because <laughs> because uh, I, we're going to do this, but like, here's how you need to respond. What meaningful church membership does is it puts us in a covenant relationship with one another, like that of marriage, that says, hey, no matter how messy, no matter how sticky, no matter how gross, no matter how painful, no matter how sorrowful or mournful that this may be, I'm not leaving. Because I am taking responsibility for your soul. And I'm submitting myself to the responsibility and care of you for my soul. Members caring for one another. You see, this is the organic fruitfulness that comes in the life of the church. And God has gifted his church membership outlined, not, not explicitly, but throughout all of the New Testament as a means of saying, these people are Christians. And I can trust them with my life. I can trust them with the things in my life. I can trust that they're not going to respond in judgment, but in grace. Because they've covenanted with me. They've, they've said, I will be this for you. I will uphold the one another commands in scripture towards you. And you see, this is why church membership is essential to the life and fruitfulness of the church. Because without it, I don't really have any thing binding me to you other than that we come here once a week 
maybe to a home group. But when we say, I, in a, in a structured, covenantal, official capacity, am saying, I will keep watch over, I will care for your soul like Jesus has cared for mine. I can be more vulnerable. Because I know you're not leaving. Because no matter how gross and, and how hard and how difficult or how painful this may be, you're with me. You see, Jesus has created us to be a people who are a part of one another, members of one another. And that plays itself out in church membership. And when the church understands its purpose to display the glory of God, and, and in that lives its life in membership with one another, we begin to see the organic fruit of the Spirit flourish and blossom towards one another. And this is what Jesus says, by all men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Church membership is the trellis on which that love grows. So church membership is incredibly important to me. Uh, and church membership will be incredibly important in the life of Trailview Church. Now, the reality is uh, many of us have not had good, healthy church membership experiences. Some of you have and praise the Lord Jesus for that. Maybe you've never been a member of a church. Maybe you've been a member of a church and it was not fruit of the Spirit growing on the vine of membership, or on the trellis of membership. I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that God's people didn't love and care for you the way that they should have. I'm sorry that the commands to love you, care for you, encourage you, sit with you, didn't happen. My hope, my prayer is that that would happen here. And that we would understand what our relationship with one another has to and needs to look like, and we would live that out here. But I'm sorry if that's not been your experience. Uh, maybe you are bent towards an independent, rogue Christianity. You're bent towards a, like, nah, man, I just need Jesus, and then I'm good. I just want to encourage you to confess and repent of that today. There's no biblical precedent for rogue Christianity. There's no biblical warrant or precedent for Christians to say they believe in Jesus and not be a part of the body of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to to confess to Jesus, hey, I've been trying and thought I could live out my faith in obedience to your commands, all of them, Jesus says. Teach them to observe all of the things that I've commanded you outside of his church. And I want to encourage you to repent of that and say, no, I'm going to do this and push in. Say, this is scary. I'm trusting somebody else to care for me. That's scary. I would encourage you to confess and repent of that if that's the case for you. And to be honest with Jesus about the fear that comes with it. About the fear of people knowing and getting involved in the mess with you. Uh, I, I encourage you to, to confess to Jesus that you are needy of him and his church. That every day you need to be reminded of the gospel and the church is God's means of coming alongside and reminding you of that gospel in the way that we love and care for one another. 
but just to confess to Jesus, I need you and I need your church. Not just for myself, but these people need you. Uh, last Sunday or Wednesday, when we were sharing, Rachel and I were sharing our story in our home group. Afterwards, one of the one of the guys in our group said, "Hey, man, I just want to say thank you for for being so vulnerable, and for sharing your hurts, your pains, your struggles, your weaknesses. Um, that's just really comforting to know that um, that you can be that vulnerable in our home group." And uh, and I said, man, well, I just want to encourage you that if there's things that I shared, that Rachel shared along the way as we were sharing our lives, that the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, you should say blank. Hey, you should you should encourage in this way. Hey, you should help in this way to be obedient to that. So if there's something that I said and it's like a, hey, I feel like the Lord is telling me to say something here, say it. Because that's how we exercise our one another nature is by speaking those things to one another whether it's me or anybody else, to say those things. Because we all need Jesus and we all need one another. See, God's mission for the church is His glory throughout the world, and we cannot do that alone. We need one another. We need the church. We need one another. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for, for risky, scary faith and that the church is a risky, scary place. Uh, God, I pray and ask that you would help us to be people who embrace the risk of, um, of fear of what about these people, what are they going to say, and trust, trust them to obey Jesus and live out his commands to love one another and to care for one another. God, would you help us to be a people who display the glory of God in this area and throughout the world? And now in, in this room, in our relationships with one another, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, as we raise up and develop leaders for new home groups and they play, they, the one another's play out in relationship and community and home groups, as we see you provide church planters and we send people out, God, would you help us to be a people who love and care for one another as a body and display your gospel through that love and care for one another. In Jesus' name we pray.